The Old Gold Club with Mikey Burrows and Chris Iwalumo. Good evening and welcome to Old Gold Club Live. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It's remarkable to us that having done 30 episodes this year, that hundreds of you would come out this evening to the Wolverhampton Grand, filled with tremendous people, to be here to see us. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being here. Give yourselves a round of applause. It was a year ago that... I personally thought my time covering Wolverhampton Wanderers was going to come to an end. I'd had nine seasons covering a club that means so much to all of us. But having won promotion, the whole club was just getting more professional, was growing and was specialising. The media team especially was getting... Extra people coming in to work on the video teams and the social media teams and the website and the program. And to be perfectly honest with you, I can't work a camera. I honestly can't. I can pretty much switch it on and that's about it. I can't write anything. I can shout things three times, but that's just about it. And if any of you follow me on social media, you'll know that I'm rubbish at that as well. So I genuinely thought that my time was going to come to an end. And my boss, around about this time, gave me a call and invited me to a breakfast meeting. I mean, he'd just come from West Ham and he's Southern, so I'm guessing it's a thing that they do. But to be honest with you, and you can tell from looking at me, I heard the word breakfast and that was it. (laughs) And I thought, if this is going to be the end... I am going all in on this. Full English, extra toast, as many orange juice as I could handle. I was fully into it. And it was around about halfway through the breakfast, and my focus was on why he had more hash browns than I did. (laughs) So I heard the words, we want to do a podcast, and we want you to be the face and the voice of that podcast. And straight away, I knew that this was going to be something very, very special. But I couldn't do it alone. I needed a co-host with me. Somebody who had worn the old gold. Somebody who had a passion for the football club. Somebody who knew what it meant to represent you tremendous people. Somebody who had an opinion and wasn't afraid to share that opinion and voice it. And if I'm being perfectly honest, voice it even when I didn't want him to voice that share of opinion. You know, the kind of person that's just talks all the time. Thank you. The kind of person that is just one of those annoying people that's just really frustrating. You know the kind of person who just talks constantly and just mounts on and on and on, just really bad. And He's behind me, isn't he? <laughs> Hello, mate. What are you doing? What are you doing? I was just introducing you to all the people. I was just saying, like, how really good you are and everything. What sounds like you're saying I'm an angry person? Well, you are quite angry, let's be honest. Opinionated, definitely. Angry? Angry. 
No, I'm not. You get angry at everything. You get angry at stupid things when people send in random questions. Like when we had Lee <laughs> Naylor on and we were having this big debate on who oh. was better, Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, you went absolutely mental. I'm right though, Anna. Honestly, this was the most bizarre episode we ever had. You got so angry, and don't you dare tell me that you didn't no, get angry. I didn't get angry. I've got proof. Here Who's it is. Who's the best player? The two. Ah, it's bollocks. It's absolute bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I Bollocks. Ronaldo's done it internationally. No, he's we're done not it bleeping in this. We're it. not bleeping this. We're not cutting this. This <laughs> is staying in. This is bizarre. How are we talking? Is it natural? Ronaldo's worked. He's, he's trained. He's, 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 you know what I mean? He's... Done it, he's, he's done it, he's, he's done it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. He's not even done it for Argentina. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, calm, calm down. No, no, it's bollocks. No, 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 it's See, not about that enemy. It's not about that tonight, is it? Well, the thing is, I knew that the whole Messi Ronaldo debate would annoy you, so I prepared a little something. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yeah. <laughs> Lionel Messi is the greatest of all time. <laughs> you know what? I love you, but you're an idiot. You're an absolute idiot. What that's is going probably, on? It's probably a fair point. <laughs> Should we get our first guest out, ladies and gentlemen? Only one person has ever scored more Wolves goals than this man. Please welcome the King, John Richards. Did we, did we need that music? Brilliant. Did we really need that music? We did need that yeah. music. We had to make sure that John had a throne tonight. It's only right, isn't it? Yeah. It's bit... Welcome, by the way. You've, you're the one person tonight who's already been on the podcast, so you know how much of a pair of idiots we are, and you've agreed to come on and do this. <laughs> so ah. that makes me an even bigger idiot, doesn't it, really? <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. Well, it's one of two things, isn't it? Either you enjoy their company that much, or Max, the boss, put a couple of extra zeros on the, on the end of it. <laughs> uh, Chris, it was the latter. <laughs> you know it was. So don't worry about that. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> John, there are two very distinct parts okay. of your Wolves career. One as an incredible player that brought so much joy to so many people, and the other as a managing director. What was more difficult of the two, scoring goals in the old gold or trying to sort out the Haywood family at the time? <laughs> Is that classed as a leading question? Uh, I think it was definitely easier uh, playing football Without a doubt, I think the managing director situation gave me um, a bit of an eye-opener into the way that football was operated in those days. Um, I think most of you will remember that at the time there wasn't a, uh, you know, it was, it was a Jack running the club. And at the time he didn't have a, a managing director or a chief executive. And I think he just felt that it was, it was too much for him to deal with on his own. Um, and the club was losing money, and I think he'd had enough with regards to how much he could afford to put into the club. So um, it, we basically interviewed for a managing director, and I was part of the interview panel, as Jack said, after we'd interviewed three or four people, and none of them he liked. Um, so Jack was very 
you know, one way or the other with, with, with people. He either got on with him or he didn't. And so he just said to me, why don't you have a go at it, John? Um, and foolishly, I said yes. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. I really did. It was, a, it was a great experience from my point of view. It was difficult because it was um, a difficult time for the club financially. We were trying to push forward to get us back into the, into the, um, into the Premier League. Um, but it was also at a time when we, we were having to make cost savings. And then, as, as most people will know, it was also at a time when Sir Jack had... Um, Bit of an issues with his with his with his own son, yeah. which caused all sorts of problems within the club. So it was a it was a difficult time all round, and I think um, you know probably the happiest time was after I left, and then you know he, he got promotion back after in the playoffs, and I think it was something Sir Jack really deserved. You said the playing part was was easier, so yeah. like you've scored a scored a goal in the League Cup final, you've won trophies, you got to a European a European Cup final. Yeah. Uh, what was, what was the biggest achievement out of those, in your opinion? Um, probably the UEFA Cup. I think that the team that we had at the time was probably as, um, it's probably something we're going to discuss, as, as good as any team I'd played in at Wolves. I know we had a good team in the late 70s and 80s, but um, with Andy Gray, Emily Hughes, and we still had a lot of the lads from the early 70s. But I think that team in the early 70s, when we were playing... Um, Ferenc Varas, Juventus, Carl Zeiss, Jena, it really put us up there uh, from a, yeah. you know, a European point of view. You know, we, in the league, yeah. there was probably any one of ten or a dozen clubs could, could, could win the league. Because it's not like it is now. It wasn't swayed towards, from a money point of view, most of the clubs were on, run on a similar basis. You know, it was just a case of if you had a good run that year. Um, you know, you always had a good chance of uh, winning the league. I think, in hindsight, I'm disappointed that we didn't do better than we did. I think we finished fourth in the league the one season, but um, and then lost two cup semi-finals, the League Cup and the FA Cup in 1973. But at least then we got the 74 one in uh, in winning that. But I actually think that team was probably one or two players short, and if we'd had a you know, one player who was here today in that early 70s team, I think we would we'd have probably won more. Well, we are going to talk a lot more about that and the upcoming European adventure as well a little bit later on. But we need to get another guest out. It's a man who spent 10 years at Molyneux, over 300 appearances, 44 goals from midfield. Please welcome Dangerous Dave Edwards. It's no king, but I'll take dangerous all day long. Uh, scoring goals is what you're about, Dave, isn't it? I wasn't sure when it first came about that it was endearing. Um, but then I think as it went on and I started perhaps scoring a few more goals, I think it did become a, a term of endearment. And it well, stuck. there was a song for a time that said that you were better than Zidane. <laughs> That's good. Ruben's taking it off me, which I think's fair. <laughs> 
Did that ever play a part, though? Because you know, I mean, you've been on, you're on social media, you see what people say, and you had fans at the stadium who would sing your name, and then you'd come off from a game and see what people were saying on social media about you. How big a part did that play? I learned very quickly when I came to Wolves that you had to control what you would look at away from football, whether it be newspapers or as social media started to evolve. And I was quite strict that after a, a bad game or a loss or anything like that, I would not go near it. Um, but obviously, there's still the odd occasion where you do see a comment, and it does get you down. But I grew thick skin. You know, I mean, you have to when you play for this yeah. football club. It's it's that big, and I felt it was such an honour to be here that. If some fans didn't like me, I was still getting picked by the manager, whoever it was at the time, and I thought that their opinion was the main thing. I just tried to stay as positive as I could. I think that's the important thing. You know, I think being a professional football, a professional athlete at all, you have to have a thick skin. You know, you have to be able to take the, I'd say the, I guess that the fans have saying their bits against you and, 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 and for you. Uh, but the goal scoring part of it, the arriving late into the box, I seen what you done, first man in the training pitch, last man there, the, the work that you put in. Just tell us all a little bit about you know the effort that people don't really see. You know, I think it's not a, a bit of luck that you just turned up in the box and got that important goal arriving in that area at the right time. I know it's down to service, but scoring goals, John, isn't it? It's the hardest thing to do in football. Yeah, I thought I needed that, that end bit to my game, because um, a lot of the work I do, it sounds bizarre, is, is off the ball. And when I did start to score goals later in my Wolves career, I felt that that was kind of my call, and then it almost justified me being in the team a little bit more. But when I go back to when Mick signed me, I was never prolific. I'd score a couple of goals a season, but, but that was it. It was more my work rate in midfield. I look at players like... Jordan Henderson, I don't compare myself to be as good as Jordan Henderson is, but there'll be Wolves fans here who look at him and think, he's rubbish. What does he do? Yeah. But he gets picked every single week. He's captain for Liverpool. He's just won the Champions League. And he does the stuff that 90% of the fans in the stadium won't see, whether that's me running five yards to you just so somebody can't play that ball. Yeah. No one sees it because they have to take the ball out the other way. But it's a job which I think Mick at the time definitely appreciated. Um, played on the right quite a bit when you were here as well, Looms. Um, but then it was more when I say Kenny and Joe came in. Joe really worked hard on me on my, my finishing, my timing. Um, I'd be out every day working on my left foot, working on different things. And he just pulled me aside one day and he said, why are you out here doing that? I used to get a bounce board out after training and be knocking my left foot. He goes, you're not the best passer in the team. You're never going to be the best passer in the team. You're good at arriving in the box, scoring headers. So from that day on, every single day, that's all I worked on. And then that's when it became sort of a lot more fruitful for me. Thing is, John, they're saying that goal scoring's hard. Easy, isn't it? <laughs> Hundred and ninety uh, goals, it's easy. It's easy if you get the right service, and I think that's what's important. Um, you know, you need the players around you, and I think, uh, especially in the uh, in the early seventies, when I'd got Dugan alongside me, Waggy, Kenny Hibbert, Mike Bailey, even people like Derek Parkin and uh, Jeff Palmer providing the opportunities, you were always going to get chances, you know. Uh, I was just a bit disappointed that Doug used to s steal a few off me every now and again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you've got to be generous, haven't you? Especially to the older players. <laughs> we're going to get our third guest out tonight. He's a man who, when he scored, they were either screamers or they were very important goals. Please welcome the man that took Wolves to Cardiff in 2003 playoffs, Alex Ray.
Alex, we're talking about goal scoring. Yeah. Two from you stand out massively. The playoff semi-final at Reading. Yeah. And that unbelievable worldie at Bolton in the Premier League. Yep. Which was your favourite? Oh, I'm going to say the... I'm going to tell you the Reading one. And everyone's seen the celebration behind that. It was the worst celebration you've ever seen. In your <laughs> <life>. <laughs> we were warming up down by the 18-yard box, and me and Paul Lynch used to take the warm-up so that no one would get lively in the warm-up. I was on the bench, so me and him are just doing our jogging. And we must have been about a handful of supporters in the stadium. And a guy spotted Paul Lynch from the halfway line, and he came running down to this 18-yard box, Dave. He's went, Inse, you're a so he started giving Paul Lynch dogs abuse and I'm thinking myself oh yo, he's getting a bit lively right and I thought it would die down for 25 minutes this guy is just bombarding Paul Lynch right so you know and he's got all the boys around and went anybody scores a goal let's give it to that so and so right <laughs> so as you see me doing the pirouette Incy's grabbing me and pointing to this character in the crowd <laughs> and the guy was the guy was sat like this <laughs> and we wouldn't we, uh... <laughs> can I ask then what, what why, why choose that goal for that because like for me uh, I'd say my the goal that meant the most for me was when I was captain at Wolves, first yeah. goal against Blackpool. Right. But yourself, Dave, John, what, what was your favourite goals and why? Uh, I, think, I think in terms of the magnitude, when you actually look back, I think the, the Reading goal was important because yep. we were getting battered at that stage. Reading were all over us. And um, you obviously want to make an impact as well when you come on as a sub. Because at that point I was struggling. I think Colin Cameron and Nancy were kind of the dominant force in the middle of the park. I just couldn't get back in because they were on a roll. And uh, the guys will tell you, as a footballer, you're just thinking, it's my time, can I start to weigh out and I'm going to get petered out. And uh, so that goal was important to get us to the final. Um, and then obviously mm -hmm. we've done the damage in the final. So in terms of the magnitude of it, I think the, the importance of it, because it gave us the platform to get to yep. get the Sheffield game out of the way. And then I think that was, I think it was 19 years that they hadn't had any... Um, you know, promotion played at the top flight where John was. So, in terms of that, that was important for the club. Yeah. What about yourself, Dave? Got one? I think it was an Easter goal against Leeds um, at Molyneux. It was um, a bit like you, Alex. I... <laughs> <laughs> we all remember that. <laughs> right, um, yeah. I, I, I hadn't been in the team for a couple of games leading up to it. I was on the bench and we were 3-1 up, I think. Yeah. And then Kenny brought me on to shore things up. Ten minutes later, it's three all. <laughs> so I'm back, and you know what it's like, Loons. You'll know what it's like. Your legs are gone when that sort of things happen. You feel like you can't get near anyone, especially coming off the bench as well. And um, yeah, it got to sort of the 88th minute at the, in front of the South Bank, and Kevin McDonald's put a pinpoint perfect crossing and got the winner. And at that time, I genuinely thought we would get into the playoffs and get promoted and it didn't quite happen yeah. but the atmosphere in Molyneux that day was electric it do really you know was. the thing about that goal as well is when we were doing the commentary we were doing it just on the Wolves website at the time and there's a thing that in the press box you're not supposed to celebrate you're supposed to be I mean I'm not neutral you know I'm not neutral and I get some horrible looks I mean we were at Preston once and a guy came up at the end of the game and wanted to fight me after Kevin McDonald had scored a 93rd minute equaliser but on that game the Leeds press people had celebrated their goals in the press yeah. box. 
And so when you scored, I'm kind of commentating and trying to remain kind of seated. And I looked to my left, and Aaron McCary was doing the commentary with us. And he was on his feet, on his chair, <laughs> arms out, fully celebrating. Everybody lost it at that moment. Yeah. It was an incredible day. Incredible day. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the way football should be. I think you should show emotion. And doesn't matter oh, I what do, you're Alex, on the gantry. No, absolutely, until 100%. <laughs> but it is, there's supposed to be a professional etiquette. I do some radio punditry in Glasgow, and you can imagine I was sitting beside three of the Celtic IT mob. And then I started celebrating when we got the, the, the goal. It's uh, the winner. Oh, I went mental. <laughs> so I have no issue about uh, celebrating. I think all, it's great. What about yourself, John? You got one standout? Yeah, a bit like Alex. Um, it was actually um, a goal in the semi final. Um, we played against um, Norwich in the semi-final of the League Cup and the previous year we played against Leeds in the semi-final of the FA Cup and Spurs in the semi-final of the League Cup and we'd lost both um, and we'd got players in our team people like Derek Dugan, um, Frank Monroe, uh, Waggy, uh, Mike Bailey the captain um, and none of them had ever appeared in a final at Wembley and they felt, because of their ages, that they'd lost that opportunity two in one season. And the following season, say we got to the semi-finals again when we were playing Norwich, and we drew one all the way, uh, and got them back to Molyneux, and it was 1-0. And I can remember scoring um, down at the North Bank end, as it was called in those days, um, <coughs> under Kevin Keelan, who was the uh, Norwich goalkeeper, and we held on. And that, to me, it got us to the, uh, the League Cup final, was the most important goal that I'd scored. And interesting after it, because the crowd went berserk. They were all on the pitch, and I can remember being grabbed hold of by several supporters, and they dragged me along the floor, and one of them pulled my shirt off me. Like that. <laughs> I was being dragged along the pitch, and I got, it, got in. I haven't got my shirt on, and uh, you know, you've won, you're into the final. And Bill McGarry says, Where's your shirt? <laughs> I said, Somebody's stolen off my boss. He says, Well, I'm going to fine you for that. So he, pay, he made me pay for my shirt. And then later on, after I finished playing, uh, it was in the, the early 90s, and I was working for, I'd, I'd worked for Wolverhampton Council and then worked for Cannock Chase Council. And I got um, a message from the receptionist saying, oh, there's a Wolves supporter w- wants to see you, John. Bearing in mind, this was probably 20 years, nearly 20 years after the match. And I said, all right. So I went downstairs, met him in one of the, the rooms. He says, John, he says, you won't remember me. He said, but uh, remember the semi-final against Norwich? I said, I do. He said, uh, you lost your shirt. I said, yeah. He says, it was me. <laughs> There's an older chap now, and I think, oh, it's very kind. He says, there it is. And I said, well, have, you, have you come to give it to me? He says, no, I just wanted to show you to see where I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's still, got my, he's still got my shirt. <laughs> Can I ask, ask, competition, we talk about it all the time, Uh, squads, Wolves were in different places when you all Mm. signed. Uh, You come in, you know the competition's there, the expectation's there. What is it, I guess, the demands you put on yourself, you know, keeping your spot when you've got the the shot, fighting to get it back, the demands that you put on yourself as individuals, can you just take me through that and share with us? 
Go on, Dave. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, well, it's, I, it's hard, isn't it? It is. I, I was reasonably local. I'm from Shropshire, so I know Wolves is sort of the biggest club um, around for my family and my brother's a massive Wolves fan and I played at Shrewsbury and Luton and then come here and for the first I say six months bedding in I didn't feel like I was big enough to play for this football club it's it's massive yep. it really is it's a, a one city club and the expectations huge and I struggled with that to start off with and then fortunately we had that amazing season the following year where we got promoted and then I felt like it was justified but then for the whole 10 years I was fighting tooth and nail for my place there's not once where I thought I'm guaranteed a place in the team here it was always hard to stay in the team and whenever I wasn't in the team I was never trying to think I need to get out of here, I need to go somewhere and play. I'm like, no, I want to stay here and I want to be a part of this club. Um, it kind of has that effect on you, but it is difficult. It is difficult. Yeah. Alex, it's a little bit about expectation. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned it before, about 19 years, you're arriving at a sleeping giant of a football club and the pressure to get back up into yeah. the top division. I think so. Jack had thrown a hell of a lot of money over the years at various squads and you know he just kept coming up short. And um, I think Paul Butler was instrumental in recommending myself to Dave Jones. Um, big butts, man. Have you ever seen a guy with a bigger head in football than him? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And um, he... Uh, I got the phone call to come... I'd been out all summer injured, and uh, I got the phone call to say that Peter Reid had accepted uh, a bid. I actually didn't want to come to Wolves because I was settled in the North East. We just finished seventh in the Premiership. And I was loving it. I was just loving my time playing at that level. And uh, when Peter Reid says, listen, we've accepted the bid, go and speak to him. And then when I come down, uh, I tried to negotiate with the fat controller, Jez Moxley. He's <laughs> <laughs> um, he, uh, <laughs> here. <laughs> Jez Moxley, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, um, I have to be honest with you, listen, it's not, nothing that I haven't called Jez to his face. And, um, <laughs> but listen, I, I like Jez, and, um, and then I signed in the September. And like you said, Dave, I was coming here with expectations of just waltzing into the team, but I think they'd actually gone seven games without losing. It was, they started the season on a brilliant roll. I remember sitting in my backside and, and I'm thinking myself, I've left the Premier League club to come and sit on the bench. I think this is just not the way it was planned. And then I think I played a game, uh, yeah, I think we played a game where I come on as a sub. And I think I may have scored, I may have been Rotherham, but anyway, and then he threw us in against the, the Albion. And then from that point on, I started to gather some momentum. But um, there, there was a period a year and a half in where I, I think I lost my place in the team and for the, the, the remainder of that whole season I was just playing wee cameos and I'm thinking this is brutal because my whole career I've managed to play. Uh, the only time, I was saying to Dave earlier on, the only time that I didn't play in my whole career was when Mick McCarthy, and we were, we, we, we both of us were in, in the behind stage talking about Mick and how much he's different class and what he brings to the table. And this is just a wee insight to Mick McCarthy for his, his full lethal. He said, he said to me, um, Alex, I want you to play right midfield today. And I said, Mick, I'm not playing right midfield. I'm a centre midfielder. And he went, no, 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 you're not hearing me, son. You're playing right midfield. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, Mick, you're not hearing me. I'm not playing. He went, listen, we're getting nowhere here. Let's just put it this way. You're on the effing bench. They get to F out my, out my office. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was out of the team for five games, and he brought us back, and I scored a double 
playing for the right-hand side of midfield. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was a great learning curve for us. Yeah. And I think that's what Mick did. He just told you in no uncertain terms that you're playing. And that's what I quite liked. And I, and I grew to uh, love that about managers who were honest with you because there's so many managers out there who will tell you one thing and do another. And I think that's when you lose the respect for them. I think the old mm. days, you just hard to and tell you how it is, even if it's bad information. So I've had various periods over my career Latterly, but uh, in the main, I really enjoyed playing for years. Mm. John, what was it like for you? When you were on the podcast, we were talking a little bit about the fact that, you know, for the guys, they obviously, Alex came in 19 years out of the top division, Dave comes in, and we'd had a little dip at that period. Whereas for you, you're kind of on the back end of what had been a a, a, pop, a little period in the 60s, a kind of a glorious yeah. time through yeah. the 50s, and you were saying that there were still people around the football club from that time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I came to it differently from the um, Dave and Alex because they'd been at other clubs. I came straight from school, so Wolves was my first team, so it was a new experience all the way around, going through the reserves and then into the first team. But there was definitely a feeling within uh, the club, from the players, from everybody connected, that there was... Um, the expectations with regards to trying to match up to what the 50s team did. The, the, the Billy Wright team, the <coughs> Jimmy Mullen, people like that, Johnny Hancocks, which was only 10, 11 years previously. They'd won the, the league three times, runners up twice, two FA Cup wins. And there was this sort of <sighs> feeling above us that you know, we were never going to be as good as that team. And I don't think we, we ever were. I don't think we've had a, a team as good as that since. But it was always that feeling that even when we won the UEFA Cup, you know, won the League Cup, it was still that little bit less than what the fans, a lot of the fans uh, were expecting from us. So it was difficult from that point of view, more as a team as a whole rather than as an individual. So, so you'd look at that as a, as a negative then, as something to, to drive towards. Let's go, and, let's go and beat that record. Let's go and smash that. I'd look, I'd look at that as a positive. You know, I'd look at that, that as a driving force for the squad to say, you know what, let's go out, we can do this, we can do better, we can go and achieve, we can break barriers. But you've seen that as probably a, 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 a holdback then, maybe? Uh, whether it was a holdback or whether it was just the thing that was uh, not holding us back was there in the background. Yeah. You know, and as I said, I think the teams in, in those days, any team in that first division had a chance at the start of the season that because of the way the teams were, they're all on a level playing field. Yeah. You know, if they had a good run um, without injuries, they got a chance of winning the league. You know, we had players, and I felt that we'd, you know, we had a lot of the top players, a good blend, and we should have done more. And I think it was, um, it was, a, it was a disappointment um, from personally because I felt that even though we had those successes, we could have done that a little bit better. Uh, and it would have been nice. You know, we haven't won the, the first division, the Premier League, since, since those days. So it, 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 it's there. It's something for us to go for, but you know, my time's been and gone. Yep. So it, you know, it's, it's in hindsight now, but it's, it's still a disappointment that we didn't quite do as well as I thought we could have done. Are there different types of being burdened by what went before? Because as you say, you were saying about the fact that it was the 50s and still around, whereas for the other guys, you know, Alex, you're coming in on the back of actually failure in those couple yeah. of years and I guess a feeling around the place, you know, that, that first season when it started to go bad yeah. and people are saying, here we go again. 
Um, I think it was a great opportunity. That was one of the big regrets. John's talking about, you know, that for me, we used to get promotion in that first season. Uh, the dynamics, there was a lot of big characters in the dressing room and it just wasn't right. And I think the introduction of Paul Ince and uh, Dennis Irwin in the following year kind of put people in check. And I think that was the, the difference from the year previous, you know, with lots of really good players. Um, and, and I wanted to, because I was, I think I was 31 when I got to Wolves. So for me, the quicker we bounce back up, the better it would have been, because obviously you want to try and get to the top flight as young as you possibly can, because I think it was 33, 34 when we, uh, when we got back to the top flight. So it, it is, but <coughs> the actual relief at Cardiff that day, and you know, it was amazing to see Sir Jack, you know, and all emotional, and uh, it was just an amazing achievement, considering the failure of year after year, and, but it was really just the start, really. Uh, I just don't think they invested in the right way the following year. If they had invested in the manner that they did this year, you know, we might have had a fighting chance of doing something on the back of that. Dave, uh, the season that we went up, obviously Mick McCarthy probably surpassed all expectation in that first season. Uh, then obviously new faces come in. Did, did, would you say that you felt a demand, that expectation from the fans as a, as a pressure? Uh, we, were, we were flying high, but I thought, uh, thought Mick McCarthy kind of he kind of shielded it from us pretty well as a group. Yeah, I was going to say, once we got to the Premier League, I think Mick, he was the best at it. He yeah. would take all the flack in the press with me and he'd come into us and he would be brilliant. And if we lived under a shadow, it was under these guys' shadow, the 2003 team, because I think everything that happened with the playoff final and Sir Jack, it was so monumental at that time yeah. that that was always the team we were compared against. And I think personally, we never kind of... We were... Um, that's the right way to say this. You, you guys are always up there, and we couldn't quite get there, even though we had won the league. And, and thing. I think quite a few of the lads felt like that at the time. Is that, were you aware of that when you were stuck? Because I wasn't aware of that. But like Carl, Carl Henry's come yeah. on, and it was, it was yeah. that was very. He was very aware of it being a local boy. <laughs> Carl, em, Carl were you aware of that aware. as we were playing? Because I, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I think it was little things like the end of the season, we got promoted, and then. We were off, weren't we? There's no bus tour or nothing like that. Won the league, up to the Premier League. We stayed up for the first two, well, first season. Second season was tough, and obviously the third season got relegated. But it was never, I don't think it was ever classed as a, a big team like I think the 2003 team was, and this current crop team is now, which is obviously unbelievable. Um, and I think a lot of the players did feel at the time um, we were sort of a bit undervalued. But I think what plays into that is that we didn't have any really big names back then. I think it's Isn't iconic. that a bigger achievement then? I think yeah, so. But you, you, you listen, had... See, listen to this story for me, John. This is interesting about perception. Because see, when I listen to him and he says you were up as champions and then we managed to stay a couple of years, I'm sitting here going, you have done a lot more than what we did, mate, because we just mm. bounced straight back down. Yeah. So that's, you know, the reality right. of it all. But yeah. you're talking about perception. Yeah. It's, it's I think lot. you had the iconic players. You know, he's talking about Ince and Irwin, where we were all lower league players coming up. You know what I mean? There's no big names really in our team. Players from that era did go on and become big names, but it just felt like that at the time. Is there something though about the football club through a lot of that period, and hopefully it's gone now, but I mean, Alex, you look at your situation, you had you know, the, the fall away in the first season, yeah. then up and then down. Dave's had promotions and then a double dip relegation and then kind of coming back up. And John, even in your period, there was a relegation mm. in the middle of it. What is it about this football club during that period that just could never sustain it? 
<laughs> oh, great question. Please <laughs> kill us all. That might be the best this question ever. <laughs> this is why we're, we're not managers. Oh, sorry, Gal. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Can I just say the, something, the, by the way? He, he, I know he's a goal scorer. He didn't tell he was going to put the boot in. There's <laughs> <laughs> some things you can't explain. You know, we had that period in the um, 70s, and he said we went down. We went down with a team that came, wasn't changed, came straight back up the following season, winning the second division and winning it comfortably. And there was no rhyme or reason to it. You know, it, when, we, when we got uh, relegated in 76, I would like to think when I look back, it was probably we lost two key influen influential players, Mike Bailey and Dugan. Um, had a big effect on the team. Um, Mike was a natural captain, led us you know, through all sorts of things. Duke was the talisman, you know, he was the idol really. Um, and we lost, both of them left, and you know, McGarry was trying to replace both of them. He brought in Steve Kindon to try and replace Duke, and Steve wasn't better suited to that position. And I think we just had a, a bit of a dip got relegated, but then reformed with, with, with the same lads, you know, we're better than this. You know, it's, it's all right people saying they're too good to, do, to go down. We probably were, but we still went down. But that team then bounced straight back up, and I think it, it, it taught us a lesson. Um, and I think it taught the, uh, the club a lesson as well, because um, suddenly they, they, they invested, they, they brought in Emlyn, Emlyn Hughes, they sold uh, Steve Daly to bring in Andy Gray. So there were suddenly changes afoot within the team to actually give it a bit of a boost. Um, but it's, you know, we had 15 years at Wolves when we had one year out of the, uh, the first division, which is, you know, quite um, an impressive run. John, you mentioned Andy Gray there. How good was he? Because obviously we see him, I see him as a young boy at Dundee United just as a kid. Yeah. But then he came down here and really flourished. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think he, um, he made a big difference, you know, um, to the team. Right. More with his attitude, you know, brave as anything. I think he joined us um, a bit like I was at the time. He was suffering from injuries. You know, mm -hmm. he'd come from Aston Villa. But he still helped us. Uh, we didn't have that sort of lead striker that he had in those days, you know, somebody who everybody played up, Absolutely. you know, knocked the ball up to him and everybody sort of worked around him and Andy was that man and he did, you know, two or three really great seasons for yeah. us. But I think Andy would admit it himself, he was probably tail end, coming towards the tail end of his career and I was at the tail end of my career when I was alongside him, so I don't think we, you know, were the best of combinations. It was a good combination, yeah. but I don't think it compared to when I was alongside Dugan and I was younger and he was sort of, yeah. you know, letting me do all his running for him. <laughs> I know that one. But that that's yeah. <laughs> Alex, the that. one thing everyone in this room knows is that supporting Wolves is a roller coaster at times. Yeah. Your three years sums that up more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, that first year was extremely disappointing. I, I, I think did West Brom get promoted that first year, didn't he? And uh, I met Darren. I know I should have mentioned that word there. But <laughs> <laughs> Told just, you not just, to swear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I met Darren Moore over in uh, Villamura, 
uh, and he offered to buy me a drink. Uh, he, I don't think the big man drinks, and I don't drink either. And uh, I said, oh, with Diet Coke, uh, after your bonus money, big man. I wanted to punch him, but he was as big as you, so. Um, but um, <laughs> it was a disappointment then. He obviously had the elation of the, the following year. That was just, you know, mm. remarkable. I think, I think the scenes, for me, it was all about seeing Sir Jack. No, I, I don't know, mm. just seeing a guy that had ploughed fortunes in, you know, and what it, what it meant to him. Uh, an amount of time and energy invested in the club. So that could be, you now see if I'd have been 22, I wouldn't have been able to see that because I'm self-absorbed, you know, because of what I was at that age, about 32 or so, and um, seeing that guy, you know, plummeting mm. fortunes into the club. So it was great to see that. And then when you see that, what it meant to the, the fans, because 20 years is a hell of a long time, you know what I mean, for a club this size. Um, and I'd obviously seen, I came in 1990 to 91 season at Molyneux, and it was falling down, I mean, literally falling down. Uh, and then seeing the, the club from 1991 to obviously the tail end of my career and the progression and then where you see they are now. So I think the relevant thing what you're asking of it, three, all these different generations, I think the club's best place now to really kick on and have a long period of time. Because Dave, you had, uh, I mean, 10 years of real kind of up and downs yeah. from there. The double dip relegation is something that lives long in the memory for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, of course, but I do think at that point in time the club needed that relegation. It sounds stupid to say, but it was the best thing which happened. It allowed um, the club to sort of clear the decks, if you like, um, where the coaching staff at the time, certain players left, and then they went down the, the young and hungry route, got the, the young lads from the academy involved. Kenny was such a good appointment back then. Um, real master at getting us up first time, because you know if you get stuck in that division... <laughs> but you see like Sunderland this year it, it's not easy and, and what Kenny did especially because the first six months I thought were quite difficult and then we really hit our form come January, February and then we steamrolled it towards the end um, but yeah that relegation was key and then I do think that's kind of played the part into to what we've got now because if we'd have stayed down in the League One for a few years would Fosun really have come calling and, and things like that um, such an attractive club but that was an important time in history and it's set them up now for what's going to be in a, a great sort of next decade. I think we've spoke to quite a few of the players that were in that group with the relegation, double relegation, uh, and there were certain characters that were probably shunned out to the side. Does that, does that affect the squad? Because it was such a united squad, some, 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 good, some good friends of yours as well that probably got shoved to the side without, without justification, really. Was that hard for you? It was. I think when you, you see Kenny and the way he is, he's not someone who's got that personal affection with people. He can be quite difficult to speak to on a, a one, yeah. 1v1. And he was ruthless. And some of the lads that he did push out, you think, these are great pros. You know what I mean? They've been great for the club. They've done nothing wrong. And all of a sudden, they're told, first day of training, you're training on the pitch by the car park at 3 o'clock every day, don't you around the first team. And that was it. Mm. But he had to make that statement, I think. Um, I was lucky at the time that I wasn't one of them. Yeah. I thought I could have quite easily been in that group. Um, Dave, was this a financial thing? Because obviously there's good yeah. pros that you're saying, so it's a financial thing to try and get them off the wages. Yeah, definitely. Especially a few of them would have been earning sort of really yeah. good money and dropped down to Just League One. Just tell as much time. as nobody's really much. <laughs> 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 it goes to see how much I was earning that I was still allowed to stay. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I wasn't on the same wages as them boys. But, um, yeah, it sort of say Kenny did a, a good job in that and it was difficult because mm. lads stayed around for quite a long time yep. they were not going to leave without their money yeah, of um, course, yeah. and Kenny did try to reintegrate 
them at different times that didn't quite work. But I think more than anything, it gave the likes of Danny Bart and Dave Davis and Jack Price, players like that, they could really come into their own, whereas before it was quite an intimidating, intimidating group to come into. The thing with Kenny as well, he, he didn't do small talk, did he? No. <laughs> no. There was one time, it was Kenny's birthday, and we were set up to do uh, our pre-match interview with him as ever. And he comes in, and I was like, happy birthday, Kenny. And he went, what? He's like, yeah, happy birthday. He went, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> went, oh, did you get anything nice? And he went, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 I did, yeah. We're going to do this or what? <laughs> it's your birthday, Kenny. Come on. Was he like that with the players? Yeah, yeah, 100%. All the time. So he was very difficult to go and to go and speak to. Like Mick was really frank with you, and but you could talk to Mick. Whereas Kenny was a brilliant manager, but when you weren't in the team, you'd be pulling your hair out because he was a hard person to actually go and sit down with and, and have a chat. But he had Joe Galler next to him, who was yep. the polar opposite, and he was a real players' coach, and he helped sort of facilitate the relationship. People yes. said that about Bill McGarry a lot, didn't yeah. they, when they've been on? Yeah, well, yeah, not, not a fan, really, a bit of a kind of bully, kind of harsh, quite, quite aggressive. Um, similar to what um, David just saying, you know, Bill, uh, Bill was the, like, the hard cop, Sammy Chung was the, uh, the good one. When we, um, Bill would always come down here hard, especially the youngsters, which is understandable. You know, you've got to manage them, yeah. a lot of them in those days, because uh, they didn't have the... Um, the social media eyes on them all the time, <laughs> so some of them were a little bit naughty at times. Uh, so oh, were they, Ma- John? Yes, well, so I've been told. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Bill McGarry, Bill McGarry really was strict with the youngsters, and quite rightly so. But Sammy was the softer one, and he used to sort of take us to one side if we were having a bit of a bad time or we felt that um, you know, Bill, Ma- Bill had been hard on us. And he'd sort of make things better from that point I think, of view. I think for a manager to be successful, they have to be ruthless, don't they? But man management's so important. Well, you ask the, you ask the majority of the players, a lot of the older ones in particular, don't like Bill, Bill McGarry at all. Yeah, right. he was probably Wolves' most successful manager yeah. you know, since, the, since the team of the 50s. You know, UEFA Cup final, League Cup winners. And it was because he had that ruthless streak. Um, but he had a fairness, you know... It, I was left out several times because I, I wasn't performing, I wasn't scoring the goals. But at the same time, you know, he spoke to me and the reasons why he was leaving me out and, um, and putting up me on the bench or just giving me a rest. Because sometimes, you know, as a, as a player, you can be trying a bit too hard. You know, if things yeah. aren't going right for you, and it actually makes matters worse. And uh, Bill was always very good at that. You know, to, to spot it. And one of the key things he did as well with the, from a, a tactical point of view was um, when Duke and I was, were first together playing up front, I used to play on the, um, the right... He was left-footed, I was right-footed. So I'd play in, in like, what was the inside-right position. He'd play in the inside-left position. We didn't have a right-winger. We had a right-midfielder, Kenny Hibbit, who came up. But we had a left-winger, Dave Wagstaff, who could hit some great balls. And after, you know, we'd been playing together for probably about eight or ten matches, Bill said, I'm going to switch you. John, he said, I want you to play inside left. Derek, you play on the right. And I said, why? He said, well, just, just do it. And what, he, what he'd spotted was the fact that 
I tended to run and pick up things from Derek, you know, from the flick-ons. And if he was in that, if I was actually running towards him from the left and he was flicking on, it was a greater chance of it coming onto my right foot. So I was coming from that direction, going there, and vice versa. When Derek was playing off me, coming from that direction, he was going on his stronger foot. And actually that was the key to us actually scoring a lot of goals in probably a couple of seasons, because that's all we had together, Derek and myself. You know, people talk about it because a lot of goals were scored, we had a lot of success. Derek and I were in the same team for two and a half seasons at the most. See, what's best then? Is it better to have that kind of old-school manager? I mean, I don't know whether anybody had listened to the episode we did with Bobby Mason, who played in the late 50s under Stan Cullis, and he told this great story of they went to Newcastle for a game, and Stan wasn't on the bus, wasn't there, and they were like, where is he? And they thought, oh, he must have gone to watch a player or something. And he plays the game, and they came back, and they were getting taxis round and sharing some taxis between them. And he pulls up to his house, and it's a day later, they'd stayed over in Newcastle. And the lights are on at Bobby's house. He's oh, that's weird. So he gets out of the car, goes in the stairs, and Stan comes down the stairs and just says, good night, Bobby, congratulations. And as he went upstairs, his wife had given birth that weekend, and Stan had missed the game... He didn't want to tell Bobby that his wife had gone into labour because he wanted him to play. <laughs> so he took it on himself to go and look after Bobby's wife. Are you sure this is the right story? Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, the best bit of it, Bobby says to us, and bear in mind as he was telling me this story, his wife was in the back room and he says, I've got to be quiet. He says, I went in there and I said, has he been here all weekend? And she says, yeah, I'm glad to get bloody rid of him. <laughs> but that's old school managers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've got to be honest with you, you couldn't, the managers now, from my earlier days, would not get away with it now. The players have got too much power, mm. they've got too much money, and they're a lot more, you look at Derek, uh, um, so I'm talking about in terms of a one-man club. You don't get that now. People for 10 years don't get it. I had three clubs in 14 years. So what I'm saying is players are quite comfortable to move every 18 months or things are not going well to just move on to the next thing. I don't think players have the connection uh, that they once had. Obviously, the top level, you know, Man City, El Guerrero's not will stay there because they're at the top, Man United. But I think people are comfortable. But Peter Reid was one of the most ruthless guys you've ever come across, ever. He was lethal. And um, I think Sunderland's got this new documentary out and out called uh, Sunderland Till I Die. It's, it's quite a harrowing thing because it's similar, you know, the relegation, back-to-back relegations. Yep. It's tragic. <clears throat> and when I first went, the first season I went to um, Sunderland, they had a thing called Premier Passions. And it was just this one camera guy that followed us around. It was not this multi-cameras. It was just this one we did. And the amount of language that Peter Reid put out there was like one, one thirty uh, minute one was about 140 F words, and it was, <laughs> and, it, and it was one of these wee guys. And, and the old, you remember the old uh, Roker Park? It was falling mm. down. And used to get columns in the dressing room just to keep with the way they stand, and it was arched. And I used to just sit behind it, and I'd be sitting it so Reedy couldn't see me, and I'd be like to Andy Melvin, and I'd go, he's fucking nuts. Right. <laughs> so, so, one, <laughs> so one day I looked out and the worst thing you could ever do with Peter Reid was catch him eye to eye contact <laughs> and he's looking right at me and he's went and you 
he's, he's went, and you, and I went, what are you talking about? I says, I'm not even playing, I'm on the bench. He went, and he went I know, that's how shit you are. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're lethal, absolutely lethal. <laughs> We've um, been asking for some audience questions on social media last couple of days. I want to put some of these to you. Um, Mark Griffiths says, for John, he says, you are actually the king, by the way. Mm. He says, have you still got the... Yeah, exactly. What a, what a man. <clears throat> Mark says, John, have you still got the Burton suit that you modelled in the centenary special paper? Oh, that was in 1974. It was a great picture. And I was... Oh. I think it was a brown suit, <laughs> and I can remember it, and stood there, upright like that, with a corner. And then the, I think with, there was one with my, with my wife and Kenny a bit, and his wife, and they got these mini skirts on, and everything, not Kenny. Uh, <laughs> that's a different story. Uh, but no, I haven't got the suit, to be honest. I think I gave it away to one of my brothers. It was awful. It was nearly as bad. Can you remember the, some, some of your, the, the 74 League Cup final? As we walked out, we were proud as a team, and we walked out, and I, and I can remember watching it afterwards and thinking, why did we wear those tracksuits? <laughs> can you remember them? They were, they, were the bl they were black at the top, and we'd got these yellow things, like, we, we looked like Rod Hull's emus, like, it, <laughs> like these emus coming out. And we didn't realise when we were in the dressing room how bad we looked when we walked out. It was only after you think, oh... And I gave those away as well. <laughs> Question for you, Dave, uh, from Robbie. Uh, if you could pick one of the current midfielders today in the team, uh, who would it be and why? We had a little bit of time with Ruben, so I know how good he was. But from what I've seen this year, Jaime Moutinho is just class. I think to get him for, was it five million? And I think probably, I was a bit of a cynic thinking he's probably just come here, he's, he's getting on now, he just wants to try something different, but he's arguably been player of the season, his distribution is just incredible. And to play alongside some of that quality, yeah, it'd be top draw. Um, Alex, Kevin says, um, got to ask Alex, if the team truly believed they could come back from 3-0 down v Leicester. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I used to write a wee column for the Expressing Star, and at half time, Dave says, If we get one, we we'll might be back in the game. And we're all looking at him as if to say, I don't think so, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I managed to get the third goal, which gave us the equaliser, and, and I managed to score a few goals over my career. And not what I used to look at players who kissed the badge or took their top off, and I go, You're an asshole, right? <laughs> I've got the top half given it this. <laughs> so um, I was, um, it was a remarkable, it was a remarkable turnaround. I think for, for, from the, the start of the Premier League up until a couple of years ago, no one had come back from three down and won the game. And this, this is true. I'd done a, a piece in the Expressing Star on the Monday. I'm saying it was quite disappointing that he's missed the greatest comeback ever. The following Wednesday, I was at Manchester United versus Rangers uh, and, I, and I'm having a wee go at half the crowd that had done a runner that day and we were 3-0 down at half time and I decided to piss off the Old Trafford because I knew, <laughs> I knew we weren't coming back that day so but it was just a remarkable um, 
chain of events mm-hmm. because they were rivals to us, you know, and they had some good players, I think Sheringham and Ferdinand and some mm-hmm. really decent players at that time, but um, it was just a brilliant comeback. Mm. Another question from Nigel Bolton. Uh, which biscuit is the best for Duncan in your cup of tea? His is uh, Hobnob. Don't want to argue with that. Hobnob. John's a Hobnob Bourbon. Bourbon's are quite nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> go for those any time. Tunnocks. It's got a bit of Tunnocks tea cakes, isn't it? You, you know don't, them, big, you don't them. You don't them. Anything's a chocolate, the lot big in the whole <laughs> shooting match. <laughs> what sort of people are sending in these questions? This is Nigel. Nigel Bolton. Where is he? Where's the, geese, where's the dump man up? It gets better, John. I'll go on then. Uh, Carlos Fandango. Not sure whether that's a real no, name. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big Carlos. Yeah. It says, uh, brown sauce or tomato ketchup on a bacon roll? Brown. Red. Both? <laughs> I Who do said both? both? I've one of each, I do both. You do both? I've brown and one in red now, yeah. Oh. Well, so you have two rolls? <laughs> of course. Well, you don't, yeah, but so you don't have the... I don't put it together. That's what well, you were, that's what they're saying. No, you don't put it together. Who does? Who said that? Put your hand up. Mm-hmm. No. No, that's good enough. That's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, Lucy says, Ronaldo or Messi? Let's get Chris Wellamo kicking off on a Friday night. George uh, Best. Messi all day long. Yes. Messi. Messi oh, all day. What? It's, got, it's got to be George Best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John, do you actually think he was at that level with these guys over that, consi- obviously, these issues, but in terms of on his day, yeah. he was just at that level? Without a doubt. Because yeah, he was before my time, John, I never got an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Dave doesn't know who he is. <laughs> who? Yeah, yeah. yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, he was just, you know... Frightening. Like Messi, like Ronaldo, a natural footballer. You know, he, he wasn't a big lad, very slight, but the way he, he played, you know, you, you just admired. Welcome back to Old Gold Club Live here at the Wolverhampton Grand Theatre. We are going to talk about the modern day team a little bit later on and the upcoming European adventure as well. Well, I've been told I've been far too nice, far too calm, so I'm saying the 2009 team would thrash the 2003 team, Alex. What are you saying, mate? Let's see the rock sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he's been pumping the weights, man. If he thinks he can have a go with the wee Glaswegian, he's got another thing coming. I'm Glaswegian as well, fella. Oh, brilliant, huh? He's took all the curries to get that. Two hours to get that one. <laughs> 2003, all day long, begging. Dave, stick up for your team. I'll be the poor one in midfield against him. <laughs> He's winding him up. He's no, 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 I'd say it was a guy that done all the damage in the middle of the park. Paul was lethal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the only problem with Paul is he never went outside the centre circle. <laughs> <laughs> he used to just point to everybody, you run there, you run there. The governor. I was never in the centre circle. No. Fucking <laughs> <Looking> everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever the ball wasn't. Uh, <laughs> John, would your team have beaten theirs? Oh, dear long. Both of them. Same <laughs> <laughs> time. Same time. 22. Which one? The 80 or the early 70s? Both would have done Well, you, you said to me before that you think the early 70s team was better than the 80 team. Yes. Yeah. Why? Without a doubt. 
Um, because of the teams that we beat, the teams that we played against, we were competing in the first division. Uh, we were up there all the time. As I said, we got to t uh, two semi-finals, FA Cup, League Cup, won the League Cup, and that running the uh, UEFA Cup in 1972. Um, we had a mix of players there that just blended beautifully. We surprised people. You know, we you know we played Academica Coimbra, um, Portuguese team, beat them 7-1. Um, on aggregate. Next game was, um, I think it was at FC Den Haag, there's people who will probably know better than myself, beat them 7-1 on aggregate. Um, who was it after that? Karls Eichene, East German team, beat them 4-0 on aggregate. And then obviously, we got, which took, surprised everybody, took us through to the quarterfinals against Juventus. And they had an outstanding team, um, including Helmut Haller, it was a German World Cup winner. Um, and we drew one all away in uh, Turin. You know, one of our players, uh, some of you remember, Danny Hegan, yeah. midfielder, <laughs> exceptionally talented. Had his weaknesses, as we all know as well, but, you know, played out of his skin. And we had other good players around us, Frank Monroe, Phil Parks was absolutely outstanding in goal. Um, had a bit of a set two with Fabio Capello, if I remember. Um, who was won Lofty, don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and we got them back to Molyneux and beat them 2-1 at Molyneux. So that was 3-2 aggregate. Um, and then the semi-final against Ferenc Barros. Again, cracking games, two all away. Uh, Phil Park saved a penalty and we, and we won 2-1 at Molyneux. And again, Phil Park saved a penalty. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> so we. So it was the. It actually gave us the measure of how good we were yep. as a team. Which why, when I look back on it now, I think domestically we didn't do ourselves justice. We we could have done even better. Uh, one of the things you, I think Mikey asked me before was. Um, how do you think that team could have been improved? Um, not a great deal. I, would, I think that if there's... There, there was a couple of three players in the, in the later team, in the late 70s, 80s, um, people like Andy Gray, who, who came into the team. We had some good players then, you know, George Berry, um, cracking defender. But the one player I felt from that team who would have made a difference to the earlier one was uh, Willie Carr. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, if, we'd, if we'd have had a midfield of Kenny Hibbert, Mike Bailey, Willie Carr, with the defence we had with myself, Dugan and Wagstaff up front, you know... You know, that's, we, a, we, that's a small margins, isn't it? That is just that, that individual player can make a massive right. difference, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not saying that the players who didn't play in that position you know, weren't good players, because they were. Danny Hegan, I've just mentioned, Jimmy McCallyog played in that position for us as well, but it was just that mix that we needed, which we found later on when Willie joined us. Um, but, you know, if you're comparing teams, I actually think that team was probably as good as any that we've had since the 50s. Yeah. 
It's one of those things that we had, say we had Kenny Hibbert in quite early on in the series of podcasts and there was a lot of people that kind of send these messages in for him and people were saying that Kenny would be worth, you know, 50 million pounds for goal scoring midfielder in the way that he did. Alex, when you look at kind of Euro, because you kind of finished just before this mega money. Thanks for having me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've came in my Skoda tonight. <laughs> Do you, ever, do you ever feel like, oh, I no. wish there was that money there? Let me tell you, you, you might remember some of these guys. Uh, the first, and this will break my heart to tell you this, the first um, team to win the European Cup was in 1967 when Celtic won it. And, and, and uh, unless you're that son. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, they were, uh, the whole team were from a, a radius of about 25 miles within the Glasgow or the surrounding areas. Mm. And I, I used to drink in a pub in a, a particular area called the Barras. It was a marketplace. I used to drink in this big Celtic pub, believe it or not. And they used to have two Lisbon lines. They had uh, uh, Jinky Johnson and Bertie Old um, serving pints. And I'm not exactly sure, maybe 30 or 40 quid or whatever it was. And these guys were European Cup winners. And people say to me, oh, wee man, you missed that golden age. And I look what I have now in my life and, you know, the resources I have. And we were talking about that behind stage in terms of the different generations. And I don't, you get what you get. And so see this <coughs> kind of wishing that you were on the contracts that Dave Nat was on. <laughs> <laughs> but, you met Jez Moxley. <laughs> <laughs> he just put the boot in Jez as well. Um, but... I don't regret uh, the period that I played in. I was very fortunate because, you know, you know, we didn't play in the pitches and we had to contend with all that. We had good resources and we made the best that we can. So I think you just have to uh, respect the time that you played in and be grateful that you actually yeah. got a living out of the game. And we're still talking about it fairly fondly now. Mm. But if you were playing now, oh, how much yeah, would you Let me worth? tell you this, I would have been sitting here with you, Biggie. <laughs> 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 I've been jumping about my bed. <laughs> six hours in the car. Oh, six yeah, hours in the car, yeah, and I brought my own jet. <laughs> no, they big American motors that pump up the back <laughs> with all the Rolexes. No, no I would. Uh, listen, that is what it is. I, I was very fortunate, and I got a, a good 20 years at football, so I've, I'm, I'm delighted. In terms of what you'd be worth now, who knows? You know what I mean? You just don't know. Um, mm. uh, I don't even know what the value would be. If you get guys that score goals for Midland Park, you know, you're saying it's, it's mm. invaluable, isn't it? You yep. don't really get a lot of midfielders. I actually think the midfield role has totally transformed for the 4 4 yes. days. Yeah. You guys that were box to box, they could tackle, they had a range of passing, and, uh, you know, they had everything, the goals as well. And now you get this sitting midfielder, mm. and then you get a 10, you know, that likes to flitter about and fanny about. And. <laughs> and uh, so things have changed for, for our day. Yeah. The game's kind of evolved and, uh, you know, uh, for me, the, the your Gerrards, your Lampards, the, these guys have all kind of, you don't see guys like mm -hmm. that now. He's gone. For me, I think, yeah. you know, you're better with the all-rounded players. So Looms, run us through our team. Right, so we've got, uh, obviously, Murray and goals, 4-4-2, uh, Palmer, Monroe, Lescott, Parkin. Hibbert Ince, Bailey, uh, Wagstaff and Bully and Dugan. Happy with your bench? What are you thinking? You thinking this team gives the, the modern day team a run for its money? All day long. No contest. Really. <laughs> yeah, I love him. He's like, no contest. <laughs> it's not a, it wouldn't be a contest, would it? <laughs> 
Dave. <laughs> I don't. He wasn't even born with half of an arm, man. I'll pass that. Now, this team's at the moment special. It really is. It's, it's very, very yeah, special. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think they're at the start of a journey as well. So in three, four, five years' time, it could be a completely different question. It, I think it'd be a close game. But I'm, I genuinely believe that say this team and what's happening now at Wolves could hopefully go on and surpass what's happened in previous years. Yeah, I think it's exciting what we've got at the moment. I think what would be awful is for us to dwell too much on the disappointments from the, the semi-final. Um, yep. you know, it was a fantastic season. Um, the team played really well. You just want that it doesn't have a sort of a negative effect on them. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've got to keep that momentum going. It's easy to say, we did really well last season. Did They've got additional challenges this year with the uh, Europa Cup. So I'm going to say, is he ahead of schedule? Is Nuno and his team, are they ahead of schedule? I would say not. You know, I, don't, I haven't seen uh, new players coming in. And I think that's essential. Um, it's always easy for, you know, we've had it year in, year out, I mean, with other people telling the manager what he should be doing, but the squad's a small squad compared to a lot of the Premier League teams, and they've got those early games in the Europa Cup. And we did well last year with the, uh, from an injury point of view, it only takes... Haven't you got to be prepared? Haven't you got to be prepared for that, though? Injuries, suspensions... That's what I mean, and that's what I'm saying, you know, we've got to look to sort of strengthen that squad. Um, yep. If you were asking me in what direction, I think you've got, you know, you need more goals yep. from more players. Uh, you can't just rely on one, two. Um, I think nowadays you've got to have three or four players get into, into double figures to be challenging. A lot of people, Dave, John, have been asking about your views on Raul Jimenez. Mm. Obviously, is now most goals in the Premier League season this season for Wolves beating Stephen Fletcher's record of 12. Yeah. How do you rate him? I think he's, a, he's an outstanding yeah. player. There's no doubt about it. When you, when you, you see him, everything about him, uh, he, he's, he's got all the natural talent. Um, but there's him, there's Yotta. You know, where is the more goals going to come from? on a regular basis, you know, you can't rely on, on those two. Jimenez gets a knock, gets injured, and it's easily done, um, especially if you're playing these games early on in the, in the season with the Europa Cup ones. Who, who are you going to get to score those goals? Somebody's just said Neves. Sorry, Looms. I mean, Dave, you mentioned him earlier because you played with him mm -hmm. right at the start. <laughs> Could he produce a bit more? Yeah, he's young, he's, he's obviously just playing for Portugal at the moment as well. Um, when Ruben came into the football club, it was, it was huge and I was worried. We've had a lot of players come from foreign countries and they expect to turn up and it's easy. And I was worried Ruben would come and he wouldn't be able to deal with the physicality. Um, I remember his first couple of training sessions, I was thinking, is he as good as what everyone thinks he was? His first pre-season game, they played down at Shrewsbury and he got kicked after 20 minutes and he had to go off injured. Um, and then there was a moment in training, or two moments, both in the same session, whereas 
there's a block tackle in midfield in a sort of possession game. The ball's bounced up and Ruben's just ran onto this ball and he has just hit like a half volley about 60 yards that high off the floor mm. straight out to Matt Doherty and everyone just stopped. <laughs> they couldn't believe what they were seeing. And then later on in the session, he's running through and it would have been, I think it was in goal, I think it was Big John Ruddy in goal. And he's only maybe seven, eight yards out in a small five-a-side game and he's chipped John Ruddy from eight yards, like proper <laughs> over his head and lands in the far yeah. corner. And you just knew he was special. Um, but you say everything about Ruben, the one I was most impressed with before I left, I sort of left about three or four weeks into the season, was Diogo Jota. He, he was the one that really stood out for me when he signed. Just so resilient, bouncing off players, no real tricks or anything, but so, so effective. And you go back to the semi-final, and it was a disappointing day. I was there at Wembley. The game changed when Diogo Jota went off. And he might have been tired or whatever, but he's the outlet that Wolves have. who can carry the ball up the pitch. And when you say, when you do get knocks to people like him, yeah. that's when you need the same quality coming off the bench. And that's where maybe they might be a little bit light. Yeah, well, you say that. Uh, you, you also experience Nuno as well. Uh, and I think he's got a massive responsibility. You know, I think yeah. there's going to be recruitment, there's going to be players coming in. Yeah. He's had the luxury of having a small squad, but you can't keep everyone happy. Do you know, do you know the interesting thing when John spoke about there in terms of the preparation for next year, having to contest with all these early European games? manager's been over the course and distance mm. so he'll actually know what he needs to bring in you know he'll know the squad mm. he'll know what their strengths and weaknesses are but when you're having you look at Burnley for example and I'm not trying to they, they're, they were firefighting at that level but Wolves will be better prepared because again it goes yeah. back to strength and depth and I think and this is only from afar you'll, you'll know more see when you've got the owners investing in the manner where they have done the last couple of years they'll get a flavour for it and they will be looking to invest again because the guy Nuno just strikes me as a guy who's very calculated but deep down he's a right hungry character, you can see it. He's got fire in his belly and he will want to kick on again. And see when he's sitting down that nice, calm, Portuguese kind of manner, he'll be just going like that, give you your money. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but and, and, and that's, an art, that's an art for a manager, you know, because you just be sitting there going, listen, if you want to go to the next level, this is what we need. Yeah, yeah but and, those, those players that he's bringing in are going to be coming expecting to play. I know they've got to come and they've got to perform. Yeah. So, and I'm just saying, Nuno's had the luxury of having a small squad. Yeah. The injury's been the best this, this season in the Premier League. When he's got a bigger squad and they're yeah. all chomping at the bit to play and he's got to let people down, yeah. that, that creates... Well, no, but the thing is, you say that, but if you, I know exactly where you're coming from. Because it's, it's man management, isn't no, it? Well, listen, you, you're actually talking about... Uh, you're, so, see for Wolves to progress, you would look for maybe three or four starters. Because you're not looking for guys to fill the bench. So you're, if you're going to improve it, you need to you get to. them going. The ones are already on board. You look at what he's doing at Liverpool. You know, you look at that squad mm. of players. You know, they're, they're, they've got players coming from everywhere. And he manages to manage it. And, and Nuno strikes me as a type of, you know more than me, he strikes me as a guy that's like, come on, he's cuddling and he's very, you know, that kind of foreign cuddle. I, I love everything I see about him and I can actually see Klopp in him, you know, that desire, that hunger. You see him celebrating, he's running onto the pitch. Yeah. And he's got all these characteristics that players absolutely love. So yeah. see if you're adding to that and top of a good dressing room, because it, you know what it's like, it's about the dressing room. Hmm. It's about the dressing room, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you, is, like, you're, you're in a squad, you're, you're playing, and then all of a sudden, Inns comes in in the summer. Fantastic player. How does that affect you as a player? Well, <laughs> I was driving to RAF, is it Cosforth? Yeah. For my pre-season. 
and uh, it came on the radio uh, that the uh, Wolves, the midfield general, was signing, and I thought, that's me fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that, that was my initial reaction. And I have to, I'll be honest with you, my uh, relationship with Paul prior to him joining Wolves wasn't great. We were very similar minded and we used to volley each other at any opportunity. Yeah. And uh, I thought <laughs> this could go either way here because we really didn't have two kind words to say mm. about each other. Mm. And for day one, we hit it off. We were playing golf regularly up at Patso and, and, uh, and we hit it off. And uh, it's funny about perception, how you see or you view, because you see him as a threat. Uh, and then I think when you realise, and then the, the, if you look at the, the, the subsequent years after that, we struck it up in the Premiership, the twos were having a go. We then became assistant manager to him at several clubs. And, uh, but you have to, it's like anything. <coughs> you were talking about in times, you, when you first came to the club, you're looking up all these big players, but deep down inside, you've got to believe that have you've to. got to get in that team. And I think competition for places is what it needs. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you have that complacency, if it's just all ticking along nicely, you throw a couple of top drawer players in, everybody goes, we need to up the ante here. And I think that's, what, uh, uh, that's how teams evolve. And then you, you look at Liverpool, yeah. Sturridge just been binned, and the wee Moreno at left back. So see the, 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 the players that are not really contributing, you just start getting them out and then contribute with better players. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think... I think Alex is spot on, yeah. and I think so far, you know, Nuno has impressed everybody. You know, people outside of Wolverhampton, anyone in, in, is connected with football. And I think what you've got to do, as uh, Alex said, the finance is there. They're in a fortunate position. You've just got to trust him. He's got us into this position now. Trust the manager. Yeah. Go with him yeah. and support him. And I think that's all that's got to do. I'll, yeah. I can ask, I'll ask all three of you, what is progression next season then for Wolves? If you could break into the top six, anything that's an improvement, see if you can get a trophy, then all of a sudden they start getting engaged as mm -hmm. their, their time. So you, th that's a benchmark, so yeah. well. Yeah. That's got to be a realistic one. I know you're up against your but man. Get into the top six, but think. see, if they can get into the top six, it's remarkable because... We're obviously talking about generations and money and things. See, to break into that top six, their turnover's 600 million, mm. and then yours is two and a half, whatever it is, yeah. 300. It's extremely difficult to then break into that bracket because it's like wherever you shop, they will have the cream. So they'll be able to do it. But John hit yeah. the nail on the head. See, see, the most important thing about any football club is recruitment. Massive. Because the thing is, and he's talking about trust. If you can look at the players he's brought in, a lot of them have really hit the, the mark, haven't they? They've, they've, they've mm -hmm. superseded what you'd actually expect. So see if you can trust them to get them and go again, then you've got to look to kick on. It can't be seventh again. But the thing is, it's not just the players that have come in. You look at Connor Cody, who a lot of people Dockery, were messing yeah. around last night that should, maybe should have been in the England squad. Matt Doherty, you know him really well, Dave. Like the, the improvement in him and the difference in him just physically in the last two years, he's just gone to another level. Yeah, he has. I don't, there's so many things I could say about what Nuno does from my experience. Only a short experience, but I know what he's like. And you're talking about, firstly, keeping players happy. Um, he's doing that already. You know what I mean? There's players like... Alda Costa, Cavalero, say Cav, I'll take for an example. 
when, Walt, um, when, Walt Zenger, when Paul Lambert wasn't playing him, he was throwing his toys out the pram. He's not doing that now. I know it's a different situation, but he's keeping him happy. He brings in Traore, 18 million. He's thinking he's going to be playing every week. He's not playing because what Nuno has to do, you have to be able to play in his system, and he will work every single day. Everything Nuno does is in that shape, the shape he works on. And if you're not quite doing it right, you won't get in the team until you've absolutely nailed it in training. And that would be the same for anyone coming in. And players like Doc and Codes in particular, <coughs> Nuno's system is just custom made for him. And I don't know what happened with Codes at the start of pre-season, but I don't know if Nuno saw something originally and said, I want you to play at the basis three, or we didn't have enough players at the time. And he thought, <laughs> I need to... Honestly, I think this will be more realistic. I thought we had a lot of midfielders at the time, and he thought Codes is probably the most defensive one. I'll drop him back in, and then mm. the first couple of sessions, he hits those diagonals like he does. Yeah. And he might have thought, I'm onto something here. And then he is just taken off. I'm so pleased because, again, you talk about leaders at a club, Connor Cody, he's, yeah. he is going to grow into a Wolves great, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you a question? I just want to ask him a question. You, you, you spoke about the system. Did he ever work on a plan B? Just out of curiosity, you know, you're saying everything he does because mm. obviously some teams nullify that system. And I know you might f mix up the personnel to try and freshen it up yeah. in terms of your offensive players. <clears throat> Did he ever go to a four or... You know, plan B was a better plan A. Is that right? That was it, yeah. Whatever happens that, yeah. in the game, Nuno would say there's a weakness somewhere. So, as we, I don't want to give away too many secrets, but I'll do when, when, when we're preparing for an opposition, it will be three or four key points where you can hurt that opposition. Maybe three or four where they could hurt you, so we'll look out for them first. Yeah. But there'll be three or four situations, and if that one doesn't work, then this rotation of play will work. If that doesn't work, then they can't cover that space. So it's like you're knocking off the options, you know yeah. what I mean? If one doesn't work, two doesn't work, three has to work. They can't cover all areas. Oh, and it was, you saw in the championship, they were just so mm. good. Unplayable. I was unfortunate enough to play for Reading against them, and you couldn't get near anyone. Mm. You think, I'm just going to get someone, I'm just going to get near someone and kick them. But you just <laughs> couldn't, honestly. And that's because the, the, the system was that good. And for the first time this year... I made a career out of that, son. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, he obviously got questioned this year when it wasn't quite going well I think the results against Huddersfield uh, there's a few oh, home games wasn't there and he obviously realised we needed something different and then that's where he showed his coaching class to, to create a new system um, on that kind of thing that Alex has just mentioned we've got more of your questions by the way Charlie says ask Alex Ray who was the bigger nutter him or Kevin Muscat Oh, fuck. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm happily give Kevin that man on. <laughs> I consider myself as a decent ball-playing midfielder. One here for you, John, from Mark Ansell. Who's the best Willie, Carr or Bolly? Carr, without a doubt. Because <laughs> he gave me a lift. <laughs> and he's got to check me back. <laughs> um, this, is a, this was a favourite that we used to do when we did the question tankard last season they're still on YouTube, they're brilliant with different players talking to each other um, Ollie has asked would the gents rather be attacked by one horse sized duck or a hundred duck sized horses fuck me, that boy needs to get out a wee bit more a um, <laughs> hundred duck-sized horses. Hundred duck-sized horses. No problem. You're taking on the numbers, yeah. 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 
big one. Alex, you're going for the big one, I aren't you? I knew you got a fucking clue what you're talking about, son. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, just before we finish, yeah. big final question for each of you, really. What do you hope the club will achieve in the coming years? Alex, let's start with you. Uh, I think, realistically, if they could muster up a cup, it would be great. I, um, it's extremely difficult because of the way football is with the finances and that now, but I, I genuinely feel as if they've got an opportunity to, on their day, I think they could win a cup. Uh, I think the fact that they're going to Europe again is just absolutely brilliant because I'm a Mad Rangers fan and, 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 and I'll be, I know we're running out of time. I'd done a, an interview with Tony Gubba around about the Christmas time, five months before I was leaving Wolves. And after we'd packed up, he said to me, he says, I meant to ask your passion. And I says, I like a wee bit of golf. I just took up golf so a wee bit more serious with Paul Ince. I says, but my real passion is I can't wait to watch Rangers in Europe. Mm. Right? Just because, see, as a footballer, you start when you're this size and then you, you finish when you're nearly 37, 40, whatever it is. And uh, so that was it, to, to go and watch my team in Europe. See, as soon as he said, I said that to Tony Gubber, he said to me, this is a true story, he said to me, that's interesting, I'm meeting Alex McLeish, the Rangers manager, tomorrow, right? And I says to him, will you tell Big Red, Big Red TD character, I'm available for nothing in the summer. From that conversation, I got to move back to Rangers. So I ended up representing Rangers in Europe oh. on the back of that conversation. Oh, yeah. So it was like circumstances were remarkable, yeah. but to watch your team in Europe would be amazing. Yeah. Mm. Dave? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think in the next coming years, I think similar to what Alex said, I hope expectations don't get too high because to even repeat seventh is going to be a big ask. I think the top six is probably a couple of years off, but winning silverware and progressing the Europa League will be massive. Um, but I've, I've had the luxury of speaking to Jeff Shee, knowing what Foston's all about, and honestly, the sky is the limit for these guys. And they're not just flashing money about and just chucking it here, there and everywhere. There's stages to it. And they won't go and spend 100 million on a player. It'll be the next level up. And when they get to that level, they'll go again. Yep. And it's all very um, organized the way they do things. But when I first met Jeff Shee, or first proper conversation with him, there was me, Carl Ikemi, uh, Danny Bath, and Connor Cody. It was when Paul Lambert was in charge and we weren't doing very well and it's just before we went on that little five game winning streak which kind of got us up the table we were just hovering one point above the relegation zone and he just told us he said look i want you to get a message change room just relax so if we go down to league one it doesn't matter we are here for the long run five years time we want to be playing european football and we can still achieve that if we're in league one next year and they've obviously achieved it in two years, but the, the plans are there to make Wolves one of the biggest clubs in the world. And I genuinely think if things keep working out and there's not too many big financial crises in China or whatever it is, then in 10, 15 years, this club could be one of the biggest in the country. John, what would it mean to you if... Wolves in the coming years could even get anywhere near to emulating what your generation achieved? I think it'd be fantastic. Living in Wolverhampton, I'm fortunate in that uh, I get the opportunity to see Wolves fans, uh, speak to them on a regular basis, and there's so much optimism 
and it really is an exciting time to be a Wolves supporter. You know, they're talking about the next stage, you know, they're really excited, pleased with where we are so far, but this, it's that optimism which I haven't seen for many, many years, and faith in the club, faith in the team, faith in the management, and the support from the owners, as Dave just mentioned, from Folsom. And it really is a good, a good time to be a Wolves supporter. You know, I don't mind. You know, next year, if they can just do what they've done this year, I think I'll be happy with that, knowing full well that that, that platform is there for moving forward. And, you know, I'd like to believe that within five years, as Dave said, we're going to be winning something. It's going to take a lot. It's not easy. It's not easy out there, you know. How long have Liverpool been trying to do it? In the, just to win the Premier League. They've won the, the Champions League. But it's taken them, you know, a long time, a lot of effort. So it's not going to be easy. But it's nice to be able to say... You know, we're looking, for, hopefully, to get into that top six when it wasn't very long ago. We were saying, I hope we don't get relegated. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's just about all we've got time for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a big round of applause for our guests, Alex Ray, Dave Edwards and John Richards. Thank you. Lovely, nice. Just before we finish, I gave him a lot of stick beforehand, but I do love this big guy. And he is so passionate about the football club. And you've just heard the guys there talking about what we could achieve in the coming years. You think they can achieve a lot as well, don't you? No, I do. I think it's, I think like Dave said there, I think it's important that expectations don't kind of run away with themselves. I think the, the club's in good hands. Money's getting spent well. We're seeing a great brand of football. Uh, and it's all about small steps. Progression for me is going deep in a cup or winning one of the cups and maybe just finishing in the top 10 for me next season. But if with the squad that we've got, the football we're seeing, again, I think we're going to surpass, surpass all expectations. So, uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. It's been incredible doing this here tonight. It's been incredible doing the old Gold Club as well this season. 30 episodes, they're all there, available on iTunes and Spotify and on the Wolves app as well. And hopefully they'll be there for a long, long time as a historical record of what it was like for these guys to represent the club that means so much to all of us. It's been absolutely fantastic. You enjoyed it tonight? No, it's been excellent. You know, I think uh, it's been good on the pitch and off. You know, I think it's down to us now. We've got to, we've got to kick on and we've got to kind of surpass expectations. It's a difficult second season, season. Two, season two is on. Trust me. One more time, ladies and gentlemen. Please give it up. For Alex Ray, Dangerous Steve Edwards, and the King, John Richards. Thanks for listening to the Old Gold Club. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts. 